Well, good morning, Community Church. Good morning, Alma. Good morning, online. Years from now, if I were to look back at this period of history, I think I'd give a, a title to 2020-2021, and it'd be called The Year of the Masks. You know, it used to be that masks were only worn by skiers and robbers. <laughs> and now we all wear them, at least sometimes. But this is not a political statement that we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about a different kind of mask. It's the mask of the hypocrite. The mask that you and I, from time to time, catch ourselves wearing when we either look in the mirror or someone points it out. It's when we recognize that that which we say we believe, we don't live out in our day-to-day -day lives. And maybe it's just one little area that you might think of in your own life. An area of inconsistency with your testimony of Jesus Christ. The biggest argument the unbeliever has with the church is that we are hypocrites. If someone points that out to you, here's what you should say. You're right. Because we are. We're all hypocrites to some extent because we just aren't perfect. We're not capable of perfection, though we are to pursue holiness. So today begins a series that we've entitled Two-Faced. And that is you wear one face saying, this is what I believe, but when you go out and you don't live that out, then you're actually wearing a different face. You're hiding behind a mask. Now here's the effect that that has had on the church for centuries. It's the rise of elitism, the rise of separation, and the rise of legalism. Those are the three big things that happen when the church doesn't do what the church should be doing. You and I then have to answer the question on a daily basis, is that me? Am I a hypocrite? And if so, where in my life must I examine and see what I'm doing that's not consistent with that which I say I believe? Now that pushes you to a point of, what do you believe? And do you really understand what you believe? Which then pushes you into the scriptures. Where you should study the word of God on your own. And God will tell you the things that he wants you to do. That Holy Spirit that we invited today will guide you in every direction you need. Jesus, when he walked on this earth, backed up every belief with a consistent action. If he said it, he did it. If he did it, he backed it up by saying what he had done. Total consistency. When you don't do that, you can actually have it start gradually in your life where you just kind of turn away a little bit and then a little bit more and a little bit more. But today's the day to start the self-examination. Over these next few weeks, we're going to be looking at the situation of being two-faced and hopefully at the end of it, many if not all of us will have examined ourselves and changed our attitudes and our actions. I knew Jesus 
a long time before he became my Lord. That sounds a little inconsistent, doesn't it? But it's not. I knew of him. I knew that he claimed to be the Son of God. I knew that he had walked on the earth. They said that he had been resurrected. Well, big deal. I knew it. But it didn't do anything to me. Because what I know is not as important that I know him. What's important is he knows me. He knows you. The first question you have to ask yourself is, what is your position with him? Are you walking with Christ? Have you acknowledged him as your Lord and Savior? If you have, then you and I are going to be examining ourselves these next few weeks. The first question of the day, then, is for you to examine yourself. Much of Jesus' ministry is spent pointing out hypocrisy because he is so consistent with the Word of God, he wants us to be the same. Now, there's a time in his ministry fairly early on where Jesus has crowds gathered before him, and he decides that he's going to take the law of God in those first books of the Old Testament. He's going to take those, and he's going to show that those are true, but they're mostly directed toward outward behavior. That second table of the law is certainly all about how we're acting. And in that section of Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew, there is a part that has been called the Sermon on the Mount. And this is where Jesus is addressing all of these people. And he's impacting them because he's saying these outward behaviors must also be backed up by an inward belief. And that's where he goes into the kind of attitudes we have, which are called the Beatitudes. Then he moves a little bit further down. And there's a statement he makes that's a very disconcerting statement that we will examine today. In Matthew chapter 7, in the middle of the chapter, beginning in verse 21, listen to the word of the Lord. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, Did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. Here's the obvious question. Are you telling me that after all these years of following Christ, of loving Jesus, of serving Jesus, that there's a possibility that when I meet Jesus in person, he may say, I never knew you? And I I hope that's not what this means, because that would be very, very frightening. How do we know then? Who's he speaking of? Am I one of them? Are you one of those who's going to go before him in that day and say, Lord, Lord, and he's going to say, I never knew you. How do you know if you're in or out? Did he give any other information, information, to the clue 
of who's in and who's out. Well, there's a principle of studying the scripture. It's called hermeneutics, and it means that there's a certain way you need to look at the Bible. You never build a whole doctrine off of one line. A lot of people try to do that. But you see, Matthew chapter 7, verses 21 and following, I need to know what happened before, and I need to know what happens after. And then after chapter 7, I need to see what happened in chapter 6 and what happened in chapter 8. And after that, what happened in Matthew? And after that, what happened in the last book of the Old Testament? What happened? You see where this is going? When you read a scripture, you need to read the whole Bible. Because the whole Bible tied together speaks the truth. If I were to only take that statement, Lord, Lord, and then I never knew you. I could build an awful doctrine out of that that would scare us all to death and we would be right where those who say Lord, Lord and are going to be rejected are. We'd be in the same place because their rejection comes from works righteousness. It comes from them believing that there is a way they can live that would be pleasing to God. Jesus had a problem with the Pharisees. They believed there would be a general resurrection. They kept the law as best they possibly could. But they believed that their keeping of the law and their outward behavior would earn them the kingdom of God. That's why Jesus is so upset with who they are. But not much has changed. Have you been in a church that gives you all the do's and don'ts? Listen to this list. You're not a Christian if you don't dress a certain way. Okay, so many of you can leave right now. You're not believers. You don't read a particular version of the Bible. You've heard that one before, haven't you? You hold the wrong view of his return. And when's he coming again? Pre, post, ah. You drink or you smoke or you do both. Can't come here. Your children don't go to a Christian school. You're not a Christian. You go to church on Saturday? Can't be a Christian if you don't go on Sunday. But you weren't baptized in our church, so you can't be saved. You don't speak in tongues. Can't be saved. You pull from Michigan. (laughs) You pull from Michigan State. I don't worry about that because I pulled for Georgia and they won. (laughs) This is not an exhaustive list, but you know what I'm talking about. You have either heard of or been in churches and you walk out thinking, you got to be kidding. They really think this way? Church should just be all about Jesus and the love of Jesus Christ. He's not looking at our outward appearance. He's looking at our hearts. It's our heart's that matter. Beliefs such as these, the ones I just read, are open doors for pride and prejudice and exclusion and hypocrisy. Comes from that Greek word, hypocrites, which was used in Greek drama and on with the two masks, the smiling mask and the frowning mask, the hypocrite. Prior to giving his warning, Jesus gave some qualifications, and this is where we go back. Matthew chapter 7, 
verse 13. This is 10 verses or so before he makes that statement. Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction. And many enter through it, but small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. He uses a technique of contrast and comparison. He's saying, you've come to a fork in the road, there are two choices. There's a wide, wide way over here. There's a very narrow way over here. Wide leads to destruction. Many enter wide. Narrow leads to life. And a few follow that path. What is the wide gate? Well, the wide gate in part is the world. It's what the world offers us. Now, some of what the world offers is good and useful and necessary and can be used by a follower of Christ without having to follow this pathway. But it ultimately will lead to destruction because it's all about power and pride and pleasure. It's not about following a person, Jesus Christ. It's about self-aggrandizement. It's about self-promotion. That's what the world offers. Yet the world is beautiful. High-rise buildings, lots of money out there, beautiful cars, all these things that draw and attract us to this wide gate. Many people go that way. Then there's the narrow gate. The narrow gate is narrow, and when you look through it, you see mountains that have to be climbed, rivers that have to be crossed. You see boulders in the way. You see all sorts of obstructions that seem to say it would be so much easier to go this way. This is the less traveled road. This is a harder way to go, but this leads to life. Jesus is saying, you have a choice. You can choose this way or you can choose this way. And he continues his explanation again in chapter 7, verse 15. He says, watch out for false prophets. So he's adding something into what the world will offer. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. By their fruit you will recognize them. Underline that, mark that, remember that. By your fruit, their fruit, you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes? Contrast. Figs from thistles? Another contrast. Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by their fruit, you will recognize them. There's our key. That's the key to the whole message of what Jesus says in chapter 7 when he says, if you say, Lord, Lord, and I say, I never knew you, you know why? Because I saw no fruit in your life at all that was worthy of the kingdom of God. Good fruit is kept in the harvest. Picture yourself there sitting on the hill. You're listening to Jesus speak and now he's turned this corner and he's hitting me right where I am because I'm looking at myself thinking, what's going on in my life? And I'm given this path that leads 
to a fork in the road and I come to that fork in the road. Are you there? Have you been to that fork where you've had to make that choice of whether you want to go and follow him or you want to follow the way of the world? Or do you think that it is possible to put one foot on each side of the fork? You know, you're not going to get very far because you can only take one or the other. You have to follow the right one. Well, let's go back to the Broadway. And I started thinking, what a proper thing to call it, Broadway. The way of the world. I see this as I come to the fork in the road and I hear wolves. And I see thistles and and thorns and I don't see anything good. And yet, in the midst of that, I feel this pull and this draw because... There's stuff, there are things that I'd love to have. And then I turn back this way again and and I see that there is light on this road that is not made by luminescence that we bring forth. But it is the light of God that is shining and, and in the way is clear. And I know that he'll take me across the mountains or he'll move them. He'll part the waters or he'll have me walk on them. You see, because that way leads to life. So I want to choose that way. The key interpretation to this whole thing lies in Matthew 7, 24. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. Many of you know that story, that if you build on the foundation of Jesus Christ, When winds come along, when things happen, it can't shake you. But if you're not built on him as your foundation, your life will shake in lots of different ways. So where are we going with all of this? Well, one last contrast. Jesus shares and says, hear what I say and do it. You're on a firm foundation. Hear what I say and don't do it. You'll be blown away. What does he say? If you're not reading the scriptures, you'll not know what he's saying. But when you read the word of God every day, just a little bit, doesn't matter how much it is, and you ask God, bring that alive in me today and produce fruit. You see, the Holy Spirit came into your life when you accepted Christ. And an assignment I have for you is to read Galatians 5, starting in verse 22 this week. Galatians 5.22, because you will see all the fruit of the Spirit that has come into you, not the gifts, the fruit. And it's that fruit that Jesus is looking for. He's wanting to see in every situation you find yourself, what are you producing? What is the Holy Spirit doing through you? Because if you're yielding to the Holy Spirit, you're a follower of Christ. And he will produce his fruit through you. That's a promise. And so as I look back to yesterday, not last year or 30 years ago, was there any fruit that came from my life yesterday? Was there fruit the day before? I remember not long ago walking into a particular business and we were all masked at that time. And fortunately, I was wearing my Jesus mask and hoping that I could be seen as one who loves Jesus. And 
there was a little old lady who had a package and she was having trouble carrying it and she was masked and I picked it up and put it where it needed to be for her. And she said, thank you, pastor. Oh no, <laughs> she knew who I was. <laughs> what if I had not done that? And I, she, yeah, there was a pastor there and I was struggling and he didn't do a thing. <laughs> and I wouldn't have blamed her at all. Because how many times have you not done what you know you should do when you're urged and nudged by the Spirit of God. When you ask Jesus to be your Lord and Savior, He filled you up. He gave you everything you needed, Ephesians 1, 13 and 14. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in Him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit get this word, guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. You and I, who are followers of Christ, have a guarantee that our names are written in the book of life. When I say, Lord, Lord, he is not going to say to me, I never knew you, because he has produced fruit through me. It's not about me. It's not that I've done something great. I've done nothing, not compared to others who have done great things for God. I've simply done as best as I can what God has given me to do. One day at a time. The Apostle Paul in another place in Scripture writes and says, work out your salvation, the salvation you already have, through fear and trembling. Not fear that you're going to lose it because you've already been guaranteed it. But a fear that you're not living it out the way God would have you to do it. So your fear is of the judgment of God that rightly could come your way, but Christ has taken that judgment. So every day I look in the mirror, almost every day, and I say, are you saved? (laughs) Yes, I am. Why? Because Christ did it. I can't produce enough works to gain my salvation. And yet legalism would say, you need to. Hypocrisy would say, don't worry about it. You mention his name, you'll get in. But fruit produced gives evidence. I know I am not worthy. Isaiah 64, 6 says that my works are like filthy rags, you know, just to be thrown away, that have no meaning whatsoever. We are unworthy until the grace of God is bestowed upon us. It's not because of anything we have done. There are many who claim the name of Jesus. Many who have tasted the power of his spirit. Listen carefully now. But when you check their fruit basket, it's empty. The only thing found is the stench of self-righteousness. Don't let that be you. Be one who follows Christ. It's not what you do all by itself that measures you with Christ. It's why you do what you do. Are you doing it out of love and respect for Christ? Are you doing it because Christ has called you to do it? Matthew 5.20, Jesus speaks to this. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. 
Now, is he complimenting the Pharisees and teachers of the law? No way. He's not. What he's saying is, what they do out there seems to be right, but they are whitewashed sepulchers. Those are above-ground graves. Have you ever seen any of those before? I was in Guatemala in a little town called Chichicastanaga. And up in the hills, as I <clears throat> approached the village, I looked, and there were these beautiful colors of, of bright fluorescent greens and yellows and oranges. And I realized they were all tombstones. And yet they were beautiful tombstones. And what was inside? Death. That's all that was there. And that's what happens when, when Christ looks at the Pharisees. He looks at the teachers of the law. He's saying to them, you may have the appearance of holiness, but inside of you there is something significantly wrong. There is nothing but death there. Don't let that be you. Each of you who love Jesus... You have been chosen by God, called by God, set apart by God, sanctified by God, justified by God, filled up with God. I mean, how could you do anything other than walk this narrow pathway? Life goes by quickly. And when it ends, you're going to discover whether or not you walked it rightly. But remember, it's not that that gets you into the kingdom. Jesus gets you into the kingdom. If you've acknowledged your faith in him, the mark of difference between the believer and the unbeliever, Cain and Abel, both of them made a presentation to God. Remember, there was a time when they were supposed to come and present something. Adam had taught them what to do. And yet, Cain brings a salad and Abel brings a blood sacrifice, which is more pleasing to God. It's the blood sacrifice. We read about that in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 4. By faith, Abel brought God a better offering than Cain did. By faith, he was commended as righteous when God spoke well of his offerings. And by faith, Abel still speaks, even though he is dead. You know what I keep hearing over and over? By faith, by faith, by faith. If you live by faith... You will do the things that God calls you to do. <clears throat> if you live by faith, you will know that in that day, he is going to say, welcome, good and faithful servant. In that day. You know why? Because he knows who you are. He loves you. He's telling this two-faced hypocrite, this follower, that a day is coming when he will be rejected. Why? Because there's no evident fruit. God produces fruit in many different ways. And he's promised you and me that as fruit producers, sealed and guaranteed by the Holy Spirit, eternal life, we should live a joyous life. Because there's far more joy and excitement and adventure on that narrow path than there'll ever be in the world. I've tried both. And I love walking this pathway. Because I know who he is. If you've done any Christian reading before, <clears throat> you'll know the name C.S. Lewis. If not, you should get into this. He wrote seven books in the Tales of Narnia. It was um, 
an exciting concept that he was developing. And the third in those books was called Voyage of the Dawn Treader. And in that book, you have the continuing characters, and I'm pulling just two of them out, Eustace and Edmund. Now, Edmund was a follower. Eustace was not. And Eustace asks Edmund a question in this book, and he says, Do you know Aslan? Aslan was, in this allegory, representative of Christ. He said, do you know him? Do you know who he is? He says, well, he knows me. He's the great lion, the son of the emperor beyond the sea, who saved me and saved Narnia. Well, did Edmund really answer the question? No, he didn't. But what he said was this. This is where you and I come in. It's not whether I know him or not. It's whether or not he knows me. Does he know you? Have you invited him to know you? Have you opened up your heart and said, Lord, come and look within me and see if there is any sin within me. Help me, Lord. Create in me a new heart. Create in me a desire to walk that narrow path and and walk with me in the Holy Spirit. When you do that, you're using the gifts God's given you, then you can be guaranteed on that day. When you and I stand before him, he'll say, well done, good and faithful servant. You were not a hypocrite. Let's pray. Lord, thank you that you lived one life and it was perfect. Thank you that there was never a shadow of turning with you against your Father in heaven. Thank you that you kept everything he gave you to do. And that includes us. You have kept us, Lord. You have saved us. You have loved us. You have filled us. And now you're willing to guide us that we might be followers of the living God, of Aslan. Lord, thank you that in those areas of hypocrisy we find in our lives, when we open up, you address them for us and you close that window and you create in us a willingness, a desire to follow you. So Lord, bless us today as we go our different ways. Allow us to continue to examine our hearts and our lives. And we will be careful to give you all the praise, all the glory. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.